What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode five, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, The First Commandment. Ooh. Uh-huh. So uh, you can find us on Google Play Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, or at least if, if those are the three places you get your podcasts, that's where you can find us. Rate us, review us, give us a five-star rating, please. <laughs> we will love you. Yes. In some uh, If you have any questions for us, if you want to chat with us, you can get a hold of us by email. You can email at us at uh, walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. That's it. W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Hope you caught that. Yeah, I'm not repeating it. (laughs) (laughs) So, are you ready for this, Brent? Yes, I am ready to talk about the first commandment. The first commandment. All right, well, here's a couple background facts for you. Mm -hmm. First commandment was directed by Dennis Barry. This is uh, the second uh, episode that he has directed. If you paid attention when we got to The Enemy Within, he directed that one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also his last credit. This is the last thing he does for SG-1. Mm. Uh, the writer, on the other hand, Robert C. Cooper, this is his first writing credit of 71 different writing credits for SG-1, Atlantis, <laughs> oh. and Stargate Universe. Wow. He is prolific. He's writing yeah. things left and right. Now, at this point in time, he is just a writer, but uh, later on, he will become an executive producer. Hmm. And he worked with, I think, Brad Wright to co-create Stargate Atlantis and then Stargate Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, mostly he's in the writer's room, but he does uh, come out and direct a couple of episodes in the late seasons of SG-1. Uh, this episode, the enemy, oh, the enemy, no, the uh, uh, the first commandment, yes, uh, was originally uh, aired on August twenty second, nineteen ninety seven. So this one also can drink. Yep. Rent. Congratulations, uh, first commandment. Yeah, in nineteen ninety seven. Uh, people in the U.S. were listening to I'll Be Missing You by Puff Daddy and Faith Evans. <laughs> Sorry. The Sorry. Game. Do you remember that movie? The Game, directed by David Fincher, was one of the most viewed movies yeah. released that year. Yeah, yeah. And Carl Sagan uh, wrote Contact, and that was one of the best-selling books of 1997. Yeah, nice. So, uh, that's a little background information about it. Uh uh, you remember in this movie, there were the, the sort of the natives had those beehive shaped mud helmets, right? Oh, yeah. Well, apparently, in an earlier draft, those were supposed to be descendants of the Asaro mudmen from Papua New Guinea. Uh, but okay. uh, that did not make the final cut. Yeah, that would have been helpful. I mean, I get it. They didn't make the final cut, meaning it's not even a part of the story officially, but that would have been a nice little piece of information. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, with that, uh, let's mm-hmm. go to the plot synopsis. This yeah. is once again from Stargate Wiki command, Stargate command wiki. Uh, two members of SG nine are running while being pursued by natives wielding spears and wearing imposing domed masks. One member of SG nine is captured and shot by a soldier with a gun and then set on fire. SG-1 is sent to the planet uh, after SG-1 is declared MIA. 
Shortly after their arrival, Dr. Daniel Jackson is attacked by the frightened Lieutenant Lawrence Connor, the surviving officer from the earlier chase and witness to the murder of his teammate, Lieutenant Thomas Frakes. After setting up camp, Connor explains Captain Jonas Hansen, SG-9's leader, has convinced the planet's primitive inhabitants he is a god and now has them working to build a temple. All who oppose him are tied up in the sun are tied up in the sunlight to be slowly burned to death by the planet's high ultraviolet radiation levels. Originally, Jonas simply played along with the natives' belief that he was a god, but after disappearing for two days, Jonas came to believe himself to be a god. With the assistance of a fellow soldier, Lieutenant Matthew Baker, Jonas killed the remainder of his team. Captain Samantha Carter, having previously been engaged to Jonas, tells Daniel that Hansen is a man who always needs control. During the night, Connor is captured and tied in the sun to die. While Colonel Jack O'Neill investigates, Carter helps a young boy who is being beaten by Baker and is also captured. When she is brought before Hansen, she realizes he has become a megalomaniac unwaveringly, convinced that he is in the right, bringing the local inhabitants out of their cave-dwelling squalor. Jack, Daniel, and Teal'c corner Jamala, the slave Sam rescued, according to whom Hansen has found a device that, when activated, will turn the sky orange. This is uh, surmised to be a solar radiation shield left behind by the Guawuld. By making his people build a temple, Hansen buys himself time to work out the activation of the device. He plans to activate it upon completion of the temple as a divine reward to his people. Hansen admits to Carter his inability to activate the device and forces her to decipher the mechanism. She tries to force him at gunpoint to surrender, but finds herself incapable of shooting him. The rest of SG-1 is informed of Hansen's plan by Jamala. Teal'c is aware of this particular form of technology and determines a second device must lie on the other side of the valley a repeater of sorts necessary to bounce the shielding back and forth, thereby stabilizing the field. Daniel and Teal'c search the forest and find the second device sealed in an underground chamber. Jack, in disguise, attempts to rescue Connor from his stake in the middle of the valley quarry. Wearing Jamala's clothing, he unties Connor, but is captured by Baker and escorted to Hanson's cave. Hansen threatens Jack's life in front of Carter, and she activates the device, producing a pillar of orange light which strikes the ceiling of the cave but does nothing more. Hansen decides to execute both Jack and Connor by sending them back to Earth through the Stargate without sending the IDC signal to deactivate the iris. Hansen gathers the natives in front of the Circle of the Gods, which he has laid on the ground so the wormhole opens vertically. Hansen tells his people he is sending the demons back to hell. Daniel tells the natives that Hansen is not a god, that he does not wield magic, and that he merely uses machines. To prove Daniel's point, Jamala uses Teal'c's staff weapon to shoot Baker. Hansen tells them he can make the sky orange and turns on the device, but the pillar of orange light that erupts from the cave does, no- does nothing. 
Daniel tells the people there. Daniel tells the people there are two devices and that anybody can use them. Jamala fires the staff weapon into the air. Teal'c sees the shot and activates the second unit. The shield forms in the sky, and the people of the planet come to understand that Hansen is an imposter who has been working them to death. They fall upon Hansen, and in the ensuing fight, Jack, Connor, and Carter free themselves, and the natives toss Hansen through the gate before anybody can send the IDC signal, resulting in Jonas's death. As SG-1 and Connor are ready to leave, Sam is brooding over her inability to end Hansen's reign when she had the chance. Jack assures her killing a man is no badge of honor, and doing so would only bring her closer to becoming what Hansen was. Jack points out the sixth commandment, as opposed to Hansen's distortion of the first, no murder. Daniel eventually dials the address to Earth, with Sam sending the IDC code through, and as SG-1 and Connor leave, Jamala stares at the Stargate, stunned at the sight before him, before the camera pans up to show the sky, which is now orange. There you go. There you go. I'm so, Brent, jotting what down did you think notes. of? What was that? I'm jotting down some notes. Uh, I know, right? I should have been doing this before. You should have been. That's all right. I'll, I'll forgive you this one time. So, what did I think? What'd you think? All right. So, I about maybe halfway through the episode, I thought that uh, that there was kind of a neat little question that was being asked. So, uh, Jonas was describing the people there as you know being these. Uh, trapped cave dwellers uh, that were uh, hitting a population density problem. They couldn't go out. You know, they were they were living in squalor, basically. Or if if that wasn't said explicitly, that was implying that, and that uh, they were doomed to um, a just disgusting, terrible existence. And that his works were going to free them. And granted, um, now having seen the whole episode and understanding the context of that statement specifically as it relates to his little. Uh, you know, solar radiation generator thing or shield that he didn't know how to work. Uh, you know, that statement had nothing to it. Uh, but in the moment, I didn't know that that statement had nothing in it. And it kind of brought up an interesting idea, which is sort of like the opposite of the Star Trek's prime directive. It's sort of like, uh, you know, do we have an obligation to help people whom we can uh, from his point of view, this was a pretty easy uh, problem to solve. It just needed uh, uh, guidance, which they apparently didn't have. And then granted, he took it way too far, but it did kind of bring up that question. But um, it also kind of brought up the uh, sub question of do the ends justify the means uh, or do the means matter? And so that was kind of that was kind of a neat little thought thing that happened in the middle of this whole of this whole episode, which otherwise I felt was kind of content light uh it, yeah it seemed yeah. to be kind of uh you know kind of blah but i'll get to that in a minute uh, another good thing that i thought about it was uh it was kind of neat to have established in the storyline especially so early that we have so many different sg units out and about and for so long of amounts of time where this story could even set up uh mm. that you know that an sg unit was out uh and exploring and understanding more about this culture with enough time to pass that this dude takes it upon himself to be their little village god and gets them working on a temple which was you know uh you know yeah it, it was substantially there was there was a good amount of it complete you know all those matte paintings down the valley you know that was kind of there was a, yeah. a decent amount of that temple that was done 
Uh, and then, um, you know what? Good on Amanda tapping for convincing me that she cared about Jonas in that moment where she's pointing the gun at him. <laughs> that was some darn good acting, I gotta tell you. <laughs> like, because nothing else about that whole situation made a whole lot of sense. Oh my goodness. So, like, yeah, uh, uh, one of my, my meh comments here is, like, She's supposed to be engaged to this man. Yeah, that just yeah. doesn't. I mean, no. <laughs> I, I know I know Carter because I've seen all of Stargate, so I know her whole character. But even if you just look at what she, we've seen in the first four episodes before we get to this one, yeah, uh, or five episodes, whatever it is, uh, I don't buy it. They, I the, just don't buy it. They are really struggling right now with. I mean, it, it's it. We're beating a drum that we have beat many times. Boy, they're struggling with giving Samantha Carter her voice right now. Yes, like, they are. They they have not found the secret sauce yet with this thing. Like, but anyway, yeah, yeah. They're they're definitely struggling on on that voice. Um, I will give them credit. They are beginning to find the voice of uh, especially O'Neill yeah. uh, and and some of the other characters as well. Um, uh, but they struggle on her this early part of the season. Mm-hmm. That's that's definitely mm-hmm. true. Uh, and then another little good note that I had was, uh, uh, I know it's a little cheesy for me to be all like, hey, look, it's a plank. But, uh, you know, orienting the Stargate horizontally with the uh, under the auspices of burying it, yet activating it one last time, which ends up creating this like little rock ledge, you know, like all we needed was a little a little bird on somebody's shoulder and a hook for a hand. <laughs> And we could have a little moment where like, you walk the plank, you scurvy dog. Arr, so arr. I thought I thought that was kind of neat just because it was it was yeah. a, it was a simple device, but it, it worked. I liked it. I, I thought it yeah. worked. Right? So so here here's my list of things that I particularly liked about this uh-huh. episode. Right. Teok is sitting there and he's drawing uh, his little picture. And he's like, here's <laughs> a Stargate. Here's a temple. And then uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jabala or whatever it is. He says, uh, good drawing. And and T looks like thank you, yeah. uh, and and I just chuckled and I laughed. I'm like, oh, that that that, that it just it just worked for me, and and that's especially about as because far as the, the drawing was not good. No, no, it wasn't good. But it, it wasn't was, good at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it was a. Uh, but but there was also in that good drawing. It, it was that that uh, that uh, simple uh, subtle. Uh, yeah, you know, you're drawing a picture that, that is good enough to get the, the job yeah. done, but it's yep. not a good drawing. No. Uh, and I'm going to be sincere in saying it's a good drawing, but also be really sarcastic because it's not a good drawing. Right. And I just, I mean, in those two words, there's so much there. And Till yes. totally is oblivious to it. And he's like, thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Although now I'm realizing it. Um, maybe I'm just now getting the joke. Was he supposed to be... Was. Was that kid being sarcastic from the start? I I, I think so. I I, I don't Dang think I, I, am, I don't think he's like actually thought it was a good drawing. I thought um, he actually thought it was a good drawing. Oh, okay. Well. Anyway, good well, drawing. You know, okay. So this is the beauty of of art, and <laughs> is that it can be interpreted in many ways. So you could interpret it in that way. It doesn't change the story in any it's, way. Yeah, it's a good point. You're right. Like once you release it into the wild, it's somebody else's story. And in my story, that kid was sincere, and so I thought that moment was oh, particularly okay. silly. Oh, oh boy, I feel like a schmuck. Uh, anyway, okay. Well, Brent, 
<laughs> if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. It's uh, probably a duck. It's probably a duck. Can I tell you about my meh bad stuff? Yeah, please do. Meh, meh, and bad. Yeah, the storyline was really blah, right? Like, yeah, it was. There, the, I think I felt like I've seen something of this story uh, in other uh, in other universes before. Uh, you know, as as we were uh, laughing last time about how in my prediction about what this uh, episode was going to be about, and. I go into the whole like somebody's gonna pretend to be God trope, and oh, wouldn't you know it? <laughs> here we are. <laughs> somebody, try, yeah. Somebody trying to pretend uh, to be uh, God. Apparently, I didn't put this in in my in my notes, but uh, as I look through the the uh, uh, Stargate wiki, uh, this plot is similar to Apocalypse Now, uh, the movie from uh, 1979. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so. Uh, I've actually never see seen that. Apocalypse Now, uh, other than, but I know yeah. the basic story of it. So, but it's there definitely, it. yeah. I think that it's it's definitely a movie that a person should see. But um, I'm of the opinion that if you're going to go see Apocalypse Now at this point, it's probably best to go with a Sherpa, somebody who knows why that movie is a is an important movie in cinema. Mm. Because otherwise, it's. Uh, it's just kind of an intense i think it's three hours it's a long one maybe maybe it's the director's cut whatever go with somebody go go with a friend don't 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 go it alone um fair enough but yeah i can see how that connection was there there is definitely some kind of like off the rails uh you know savior figure in apocalypse now uh that needs to be that needs a good stopping needs to be stopped man so yeah that carter jonas thing that was complete banana garbage like oh yeah that that like and then all of those like um off the cuff or flatly delivered uh like uh expository lines that carter was saying just you know talking about their relationship or talking and it was just like wait what like you know she she, very much likes laid all these Mm. things out here you know he likes control you know i must have a soft spot for the lunatic fringe but he had this in him all of these things it was just this it was really flat and i'm like yeah like okay you don't even believe that you yeah right which gets me back to that moment with uh where the standoff where where he slowly approaches her and takes the gun and she like actually looks like she's struggling and has a conflict and then is in pain about it and is like like that was some darn good acting, especially because yeah. of that garbage that was written earlier, man. Yep. Good yep. on her. Good on her. Yeah. Uh yeah. So, and then okay. Yeah, there's uh there's then there's the 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 myriad of just hardly well baked theological tie-ins for okay. a television show. All right. I might go into a little bit of a rant here uh, on this. <laughs> That's okay. I had okay. my rant. So, so uh, for you listeners out there, uh, I am a theologian. Uh, I have a master's of divinity. I work at a church. Uh, I also love, love science fiction. I'm a big fan of, of uh, biblical uh, stories and, and the, the theology in there. And I love chewing on that. I, I love it, love it, love it, love it. Okay. <laughs> a number Here of significant biblical events took place over seven days what does that have to do with anything else in this show <laughs> nothing nothing i mean i'm not denying that it's true but really the big thing that happened in seven days is the creation of course yeah. there are some other uh you know but 
what what does that have to do with anything that, that goes on? And then later, Chilk says, uh, if there will be nothing left, none left to worship him if this continues. Well, that's a great one. And then Daniel responds, like Abraham. Chilk's like, who? And Daniel's like, biblical fig- figure, believed to be the father of man. God tested his faith by making him sacrifice his son, Isaac. He just goes on and on. I'm like, A, Abraham, nowhere does Abraham, is Abraham believed to be the father of humanity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was scratching my head on that one too. Uh, absolutely nowhere and and here's the thing it's like so he goes and tells the story about uh abraham sacrificing his son isaac okay so Mm -hmm. i abraham almost sacrificed his son isaac and then god stopped him uh but what does that have to do with anything else that was going on in that moment i mean right this this jonas who was a god at this point in time they didn't even know that for sure uh they kind of thought so but 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 Sacrificing is okay. I get the storyline needs to connect this to the Bible in some way because that's important to things later on when we get to the final comment that 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 uh, O'Neill says about. I think there's the first commandment. Nope, not the first commandment. Something else. You know. Okay, I get that you need those tie-ins, but oh, for crying out loud, yeah. those are terrible tie-ins. Yeah. Ah, no, it okay. it didn't. And uh, I think that it further uh, doesn't make sense just because the story, the story really didn't need to have these tie-ins brought in, right? Like it could have been, the idea could have stood up all by itself without necessarily having to like have these like Sunday school call outs to these stories, right? Yeah. You know, okay, yeah. okay, writer, like who wrote this thing? You you mentioned it, uh, Robert. You know, okay, Robert C. Cooper, later becoming a producer and seventy one writing credits. Uh, you know, yeah, all right. You remember a couple of uh, you know a couple of Old Testament stories? Hooray! But it doesn't mm-hmm. have any. It's, it's okay. It, you don't have to tie this into it. Like it's okay. It just keeps telling the story. Yeah, uh, the, the, that that spot, those couple of spots there are just absolute fails for me. I just. It, it just doesn't work at all. No, no. Uh, but, for me, uh, I felt like it was um, kind of typical. I, so I also grew up uh, in a you know very conservative Christian home and was steeped in the storyline that said that uh, that the majority, if not all, of the content that you consume uh, in television and in the movies is uh, purposefully holding a bias against. Uh, against Christian themes or Christianity in general or Judeo-Christendom at large. Uh, a belief that I no longer hold. Uh, I didn't really hold it that much when I was a kid, but uh, there there definitely were moments uh, that could have echoed with somebody looking for confirmation bias because the story, because those elements were just so nonsensical, right? Like yeah, like a person would have to really struggle to actually correct or to feel like they could tie that in 
um, you know, somebody can point to it and go, you see, they got it wrong or, and they don't really understand what they're saying. And so they must be saying that people who believe this stuff are idiots or, you know, like that kind of a running like thought process, which I don't think actually happened here. I bet you that the writers were like, yeah, we should totally tell some kind of edgy story about how like a person thinks he's God. Um, how do we do that? Well, let's tie it into what most people believe about God and, uh, like reference a couple things that people probably remember. You know. Right. Well, and 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 you know this this is an episode that that begins really strong uh, themes throughout all of SG One about what is it to be a god? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, who is a god? Who isn't a god? And why? Um, hmm. uh, you know. So the, this, you know, I mean, obviously, when you set it up with with you talking about Apophis and Ra and all of that stuff, and, and yeah, Teal, yeah. Rejecting his gods, um, but but you know this comes back over and over and over again. Um, so for interesting, that, yay. so then may well then maybe another way to view it then would be um, to acknowledge that I am a little too close to Judeo Christendom, right? Because Apophis and Ra are not Apophis and Ra; they are these alien dudes that just hold so much power that they ended up being worshipped as gods by a lesser people. And, well, shoot, here well, we have also, that exact they same also story. Not, they're not just simply worshipped as gods, but they claim to be god. And so you certainly got that big connection here. Um, and, and to that yeah. regard, I'll, I'll give them credit, because they connect, uh, you have, uh, uh, um, sorry, I just got a text on my phone that threw me off for a loop. So, nope, that's Brent, fine. if you want to cut this out when you're editing it, you can. But Sure. I'll, so, I'll totally uh, just, yep. So, no one uh, you know, part. there is that connection between what happens with Jonas Hansen here uh, and the Gua Wuld, where there is a power crazy that comes over us. Um, and I guess you could maybe make start making the argument that, you know, what is it that makes us as humans or us as the SGC uh, better than than the Gua yeah. Wuld? Yeah. Uh, they don't really start talking about that, but we could look at this and, and, and say, you know, are they is that part of this? So maybe there's some good things in there. Yeah. You know, I'm actually glad we're talking this thing through because my view on this episode is starting to evolve a little bit, mostly because, uh, you know, and I'm going to call myself out on that one about how, right. I probably was looking at this as like, roll your eyes. Yep. Another, another story where we're pretending to be God type of a thing, but it's because it's talking about the faith tradition that I grew up with. It's not mm. an interesting outside story because we're talking about the faith tradition that ancient Egyptians grew up with. When we're talking about that, I'm thinking the story is kind of rad and kind of neato that they're tying in all these things. And it's not, you know, it's not my identity that's on the line on this one. But now that we're kind of bringing it into something that is close to my identity, I'm willing to uh, either be upset or roll my eyes. Right. Like, huh. Mm, yeah. maybe, now, let me let me reframe that. Right. Let's 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 take a look at this and and say ah this is an this is a story about uh this is this would be akin to a storyline that took place from the Gua'uld's perspective when the Gua'uld that became Ra started his deal and let's pretend that this storyline uh if it were from the Gua'uld perspective would also include people who thought he was going off the deep end with that thing like what would that look like uh, you'd have a person who thought he could call himself a god because he was technologically vastly superior. He had some kind of an idea about what they could do for him. Like he's acting in selfish motivations. Um, 
you know, it's, I mean, the parallels are there. It's just, you know, they spun the story on me and now I'm all pouty. Yeah. I don't, uh, when, you know, uh, so all of this stuff, uh, I'm thinking about it for the first time in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to push back a little bit. And I like, I don't think that, that for me, at least, uh, the, the issue is that they're using Christianity as, you know, as what's going on here. Uh, certainly, uh, there are themes uh, that would be familiar to Christianity, and certainly uh, in Jonas's mind, there's something about him thinking of himself as that God, as, as you know, Christians would would think about who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that's what where I had the the, the problems with it. I just. Um, um, for me, as I watch this episode, this is so far removed from the faith that I live uh, that that while they're using certain connections therein, I, I didn't feel threatened by this in any regard. Um, so I'm just babbling now. So I'm no, stop. no. I mean, I, I think I, I think I get what you're saying. I'm willing to stick a pin in it, so to speak. And to uh, recognize that my reaction to it says as much about me as it says about the story itself. And through that lens, am I willing to come to a bit of a different understanding of my appreciation of the story? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, that's something. Well, I I will say this, that that uh, um, our conversation here has uh, helped me develop a greater appreciation of this episode. And I think my chevrons are going to be a little bit higher than they were uh, if I were giving these at the beginning of this. So, you know, Robert C. Cooper. You, you did a good job. You screwed yeah. up a lot of things, but you did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of oh. odds and like speaking of doing a good job, but kind of in a weird way. Um, so, uh, Zach, I think before the show, you were talking to me a little bit about uh, or was it on the show? I don't know about about those uh, potato head things that those guys were wearing. Like at the beginning uh, oh, of the episode, well, yeah, one of those the the trivia things is apparently oh yeah, that's were, right, uh, supposed to be the Asara Mudmen. Oh uh, man, I'm so glad you brought that up because I those dudes come on the scene, and I guess that just shows my uh, my lack of cultural uh, context because now that you say that, I think I do recall seeing some like illustrations of those types of masks. But I was seriously for a good moment like, what the heck are these things about? Like. <laughs> they look like Mr. Potato Head situations, and I did not know what to make of it. Like I, but, well, so I'm glad to hear that uh, that they were supposed to be from uh, you know descendants of Papua New Guinea, which would make sense. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I was also like with the name of Jonas. I was, re- and then all these biblical connections. I was really expecting the uh, like a belly of the whale moment, but I don't hmm. think I got one. Uh, no. I think the closest he got thing thrown is when he into fell the into, Stargate. That's right. That, yeah. But that's not quite Jonah and the whale. Not really. Not really. Uh, but then as you were reading the synopsis, and this is why I was typing my notes, because I was realizing that there was another thing that like, OK, so remember a while ago, I was complimenting the uh, the people who work in the uh, uh, the the embarkation room for having nerves of steel because they were constantly setting that self-destruct sequence like every time the gate powered on. Right, right, um, right. And they were just 
calmly just being like, yep, no problem. Turn it off. Oh, turn it back on again. Okay, sure thing. We're about to annihilate ourselves in seven minutes, right? You know, like doing that over and over would probably drive me insane. Um, Also, what would drive me nutso? Maybe they'll get into this a little bit later. But right now, for all I know, you send in the IDC signal and then you hope that they got it on the other side (laughs) because you're walking through that gate and you don't know if that iris is open or not. That's that's some nerves, man. That's some that's some guts. Yeah, yeah. These guys are cold, uh, man. It, it takes a lot of trust uh, in order to to make that that leap there, because like, uh, uh, I know, would not be walking through you that might thing not, as calmly as they Literally, are. you might not come out the other side. Uh, uh-uh. you you could be going splat, just curse splat. Yep. Yeah. All right. So I have uh, one more comment that I need to make about this, and. Uh, uh, it's just kind yeah. of some some fun writing uh, near the beginning. Uh, you know, O'Neill is talking with uh, Lieutenant what's his name uh, and and Carter and whatnot. And says, "Okay, so I want you to take him back to the SGC and report to the general." And she's like, "No, sir." And and he's like, "What?" Blah 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 <laughs> yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah. And they're like, "Okay, look, I need you to say." And he's like, "No, sir. If you're going, I think it's a suicide mission. But if you're going, I'm going with you." And he's like, "Does it say Colonel anywhere on my yeah. uniform?" <laughs> yeah, I laughed. I laughed out loud on that one. I'll admit. <laughs> uh, uh, now I, I will point out that immediately thereafter, I mean, they're, they're, that's all played for the humor. But he also O'Neill lets slide a significant blatant disregard of orders and rank yeah. and all of this. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, it's played for humor. Um, but and it doesn't go anywhere. And I guess that's like, you know, it, it doesn't go anywhere. And right. it's like, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? If that happened in real life, um, would that uh uh undermine somebody's authority? And you know, what should he have done? Should he, you know, should he have forced them to do that? Or, or was he doing the right thing by saying, uh, uh, no, okay, uh, just follow me. It's a no big deal. Uh, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, they've, they've previously set up O'Neill as being someone who is a little bit irreverent of authority, uh, even within the organization of absolute authority which would be his military uh his military career right uh and we do very much like that rascal right we do like that rapscallion that's uh you know willing to buck the rules a little bit but uh not not enough in a way that actually makes people like gets them in trouble or uh, you know like a in genuine like risk of harm or anything but uh you know, we we uh, we like the world wise person who understands when the spirit of a rule uh, needs to be held to and when the spirit of a rule can be uh, or no, when the spirit of the rule means that you're either adhering to the letter of the rule exactly or you're deviating from it a little bit. And, you know, O'Neill is kind of fitting that mold right now, which is fun. It's nice to. Uh, you know, to ha- to have a little bit of a of of a, of a chuckle when he's just like, "My gosh, nobody, re- I get no respect. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on here." Yeah, <laughs> you know, but you're right. Like, this is supposed to be a tightly run military organization. I mean, we just had a bunch of jarheads coming on here last last week. Um, it's true. You know, I still have my working theory that uh, General Hammond is trying to get the ship shaped up uh, by bringing in the Marines. Uh, You know, we have yet to see. I have yet to see if this theory actually pans out. But, um, you know, and then we have these moments here where, you know, where 
the colonel, the one in charge of the whole thing, is totally letting a couple of people just disregard his orders back to back. Like, you know, like at the end of the day, it's like, all right, thanks. Thanks for your input. Really appreciate it. That was some really yeah. good, helpful information. You go back to base. You go with her. Like, like you know, and uh, part of it is, is becomes the question, as you were mentioning, um, you know, is is this a time where where the and this is where people get into real trouble is when you you say, OK, I want you to go do something. And they say, no, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are times when it is a life-threatening situation where it needs to happen now, and I don't have time to mess around, and you have to do this. And the question is, is this one of those times? And the reality is, no, it's not. Uh, And so when they're like, you know what? My best place is actually to be at your side for this. I'm going to uh, interpret this moment of O'Neill, even with all of the humor, as recognizing that uh, that that uh, uh, he recognized this as, as something that that was okay. Uh, yeah. That you know the the order itself is not a life threatening order, um, and so I'm going to trust that that they're you know worthwhile um, in in other things for this. So I'll yeah. give him a pass on that. But yeah. I still think, does it say Colonel anywhere on my uniform? <laughs> I did find that really funny. Yes, me too. All right. Anything else you want to add or uh, to, to this uh, before we move on? I think, uh, I think we're ready to get scooting, but uh, you know, I'm glad we had this conversation. Honestly, I am definitely glad we had this conversation. It definitely changed a little bit of how I perceived it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, it's time for our ratings, our ratings out of seven chevrons. And, chevrons! Uh, Brent, I'm gonna, chevrons! chevrons! I'm going to go first. Yeah, uh, do it. So I did mention earlier that, that uh, uh, our conversation bumped up my chevrons for this, uh-huh. uh, so, which is good because I think I probably would have given it like a one and a half because oh, oh, oh. I don't like oh. this episode. I think this is an <laughs> awful, 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 awful episode. Um, uh, it, it, it's one of those ones that is, in my opinion, generally skippable, kind yeah. of like emancipation. Uh, yeah. But after our conversation, it's better and so i'm going to actually up that by a whole point oh and my. go two and a half chevrons. two and a half chevrons well that's two excellent. and a half chevrons all right so, so uh i yeah i definitely felt like this thing was uh a bit thin on the content um it uh it it was an easy watch uh it wasn't challenging to me it didn't really kind of but this was all on first viewing as we talked about it it definitely felt like it had a bit more layers that i was not really giving it credit for whether or not it did i don't know um uh i i think that there's a pretty good argument that it did have those layers but uh you know it could just as easily have been uh, a quick story about a power hungry person who pretends to be god um and that's it and uh so uh, I didn't particularly enjoy uh, sort of that f- ridiculous setup that was they were trying to shoehorn in with the uh, uh, Carter Jonas connection. Uh, I thought that there was a minimal uh, enhancement of the characters as characters. I didn't really feel like I got a whole lot of insight into these people uh, that felt like it was longstanding. Um so th- all this together, I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm going to be giving it a three Chevron out of seven Chevron rating below halfway. Three yeah, but uh, definitely kind of in the middle. 
um, you know, worth, uh, worth a little bit of time, hopefully with a person that you're willing to have a conversation with, because otherwise, yeah, it's 40 something minutes. So that's kind of it's forgettable. Yep. Um, yep. But there's that. All right. So Brent gives yeah. first commandment three chevrons and I give it two and a half chevrons. Uh huh. All right, so now we look forward to next week. Next week's episode is called Cold Lazarus. Uh Uh-huh. So, Brent, what is Cold Lazarus all about? All right, so, Cold Lazarus. So, uh, the the infection that... that ran rampant on that one planet uh, with the light side and the dark side uh, and uh, was treated by uh, antihistamines uh, is actually back. Um, what was thought to be uh, the elimination of that, uh, that uh, pathogen, uh, indeed, it has risen from the dead to come back and haunt the entire SG-1 team with a vicious, vicious head cold and the entire episode is spent with them <laughs> sniffling in boxes of tissue drinking their uh orange juice and uh begging the uh doctor who you said i'd be seeing more of so here's here's her triumphant return uh while she's administering chicken soup so uh, cold lazarus <laughs> is going to be a story about what uh, the base is like when things go wrong in a minor way how did i do oh well um, let's watch the actual promo and <laughs> uh-huh. find out. Okay. All right. Here All right. is the promo for Cold Lazarus. Are you ready? All right. I am almost ready and I am ready. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. A close encounter with an unknown presence puts O'Neill in double jeopardy when his mirror image back through the gate. I need to find Charlie. And into his life. What happened to his son? Now, a secret from O'Neill's tragic past. Charlie accidentally killed himself with Jack's personal gun. Is the only thing that can save him from himself. Hey, it's the doctor! She's back! Stargate SG-1. Oh, man. Actually, I'm kind of excited about this one. I kind of... I like like those episodes that tell me more about the character's past. Those are some fun ones. Well, there you go. We'll have to see if it turns out to be as good as Brent hopes. I am uh, that's putting cold a lot of hopes on this Lazarus. One, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, looking forward uh, to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so, any other last comments for you? Nope. I think we're All good. All right. So thanks for listening to us. Uh, if you have any comments, uh, any thoughts, tell us what you think by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Uh, if you think we're way off our rocker, if, if what we said today uh, changed your opinion on this episode and made things uh, better for you about this episode, let us know that too. Yeah. If you still think we're absolutely crazy and it's a terrible <laughs> episode, whatever it is, let us know uh, because we're doing this for us and you get to listen. Yeah. you know what there's only one way that you can influence the outcome of this particular uh this podcast and that's by uh writing in and telling me that i am full of it and even then i'm not even confident that would work but whatever send us an email we'll uh yes we'll definitely consider it uh and who knows we may actually read your emails yes we'd have to get emails (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, one thing at a time, all right? <laughs> all right. All right. So with that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. 
And you've been listening to Walking Through the Stargate. Have a good night. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.